Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. We're going to jump into this. Um, this is Vision Message Part 2. Um, I'm going to go through a ton of scripture tonight, so you don't have to try to flip to every single one, and if you need the locations of all these verses afterwards, I can give them to you. So Revelation 5, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding up a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. 
we just ask for just spirit of wisdom and revelation, come. Come, come speak to us. Reveal Jesus to us in a new way, Holy Spirit. Yeah, God, we're going to go through a lot of scripture, so I just ask that you make these scriptures alive to us. Let this not just be um, words on a page to us or verses that we've heard over and over again. God, let these have life. Let them be food for us. Thank you, Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I just ask that you, you let your, both your word and your assignment for us, whatever you have for us, God, let it burn within us. Thank you, God. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your story. Um, amen. I just realized, I didn't, Sophia had a word she wanted to share. Can we guys go ask her if she wants to share that? My three-year-old had a word from Jesus from her quiet time, and I told her she could share it. I want to make sure I honor that. <laughs> if she doesn't want to, that's okay, too. Um, so, last, last uh, the first part of this message, we talked about the what and why of the vision of fire. We discussed Nehemiah as a prophetic picture, um, as he took a group of people to go examine the walls of Jerusalem uh, together to see where they're at. Do you want to come share your word? Okay, come here, baby. Don't trip on the, the stuff. So, she, when she found out I was preaching today, um, she said she wanted to preach too. Here, I'll pick you up. And I said, well, you've got to ask Jesus for something. And so in her quiet time, she went and asked Jesus for something. Do you want to share what he told you? Um, so, she, so he said, um, share the people about Jesus. <laughs> and give the people Jesus. Yeah. So she came out of her quiet time. The first thing she told me is she said, Jesus told me what, what to share. And I said, what? And he said, she said, give the people me and tell the people about me. Good job, baby. Go back. <laughs> um, and I thought that was a good word. Give people me and tell people about me. Um, anyway, so we discussed, uh, we also talked about the state of Seattle. Kind of what is, what is our broken down wall? What does that look like? And also there, we talked about the apostolic calling to export. Whatever's on Seattle gets exported. Um, and so we believe that a move of God is going to be explored around the world from here, from this city to the nations. We discussed what God is going to do among us and what this will require of us, which is we're here for him. We're a people of hunger. Uh, a people, uh, we're a people that have laid down our opinions to gather around Jesus, a people that believes he is worthy of our time, our money, our surrender, our wholeness, our lives, a people that loves his bride, a people that's flexible and willing to build with him, a people that's generous to God and one another. And lastly, we discuss this being a well. Some are called to help build the well, um, and it, which means actually being a part of this church, help build what this is. Uh, and then some are just going to simply come and drink from the well, and that's okay too. So today, I'm going to share the vision on how we're going to get this accomplished. Um, which comes down to three things. It comes down to the, the king's priest prophets, what I'm calling the king's priest prophets mandate, uh, and then how we, walk at, uh, how we walk each of these roles in our day-to-day life, and then the key to it all. Um, 
So I'm going to jump to, actually, I have a word for you in the red shirt. What's your name? Jasmine. Jasmine. Um, I just heard the Lord say, um, let her know I'm, I'm her keeper. And I feel like there's, there's been a lot of, of places of, um, of uh, uneasiness or anxiety around some things. And just like, um, he wants you to know he's, he's got you. And he's your security, and he's taking care of you. That that's pretty important to him that you know that um, he's your keeper. So, hopefully, that makes sense. Um, numbers thirteen. So in Numbers thirteen, this is when um, the the people of God they get to the you know they're on the other side of the promised land. They're looking in, and Moses sends out twelve spies to go check out the promised land. So in Numbers 13, verse 25, it says, At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we see the descendants of Anak there. The, the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people. So you can just imagine all the people are freaking out. They just brought all this way, and there's chaos. The whole nation of Israel is in chaos because they just got told this amazing promised land is full of enemies, and they're freaking out. So Caleb has to quiet the people. Uh, he quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against this people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land and they, that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there, were, there we saw Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So it's kind of interesting. They spied out the land, and they came back with this bad report. This reminds, reminds me a lot about how people talk about Seattle. If you remember uh, last main gathering, I, I talked about um, when God spoke to me about everyone saying, it's dark here, and him saying, who told you that? And by faith, we've accepted the darkness instead of stepping in and seeing the possibility. And so it says, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. However we view ourselves by faith, we will be. But the point here I want, I want to make is the promised land was full of giants. And what they pictured was God giving them a land flowing with milk and honey that was awesome and no one lived there. But that wasn't the case. They wanted a land free from conflict. But we don't, we don't run from conflict. We overcome conflict. Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them night and day before God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. So we overcome. We overcome by the blood which is, it represents the covenant. It represents what Jesus has already done for us and our testimony, which is what he's done and what we've witnessed him do. 
what he's done in our lives and what we've witnessed him do. So many of you have felt the conflict already, um, and I know, I know we have. I could talk for a while about that. Um, but I just want to encourage you, don't back down. Greater days are ahead. And then there's this interesting story that comes a little bit later. So they've, they've actually moved into the land, and the, the tribes have been instructed to go take, the, take a portion of the land and push out the enemies. And so it says, then the whole congregation, this is uh, Joshua 18, then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? So seven tribes of people hadn't uh, gone in to claim their part as they were instructed to. They were afraid of the enemies within. And they had to conquer and occupy for their own lineage. We're here to slay giants and take territory. In Nehemiah 3, you go a little bit further. So last time we focused on them examining the wall and seeing the problems. When they actually start to build, you get into Nehemiah 3, and I'm going to just read 28 through 30. Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. And actually, just for time, I'm not going to go through and read this, but it names each occupation and, and family and that they built in front of their own house. They built in front of their own house. They built in front of their own house. It's very important to recognize the assignment before us isn't just on this ministry. And so I want to like, separate what it looks like to do this as a church, but also this is an individual mandate. And whether you're part of this church or not, this applies to you. Uh, to begin to build, your assignment is to repair the land, the culture, uh, within your occupation or whatever you find yourself in, we have to we have to repair the wall. And so, I, I want to share a little bit about what uh, the, the title of this is: Kings, Priests, Prophets. But um, God gave me this Kings, Priests, Prophets mandate, which really, as you dig into, is just Christianity. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, I want to invite you into a culture that my family has been living out. And so we started really intentionally, um, about a year ago, really intentionally, like, focusing on this and living this out. And seeing ourselves, we already seen ourselves as missionaries, because when we came, like, after, uh, when we went to Mexico, and we came back, and we were just ready to, like, God, send us somewhere to die, like, we'll go die in a village somewhere, and then God says, Seattle. And that didn't feel right, <laughs> because we were ready to die in a village. And then, you know, Seattle, it's like ending up in the tech industry and all this stuff. And, um, but we're here as missionaries, and we realize that this needs missionaries, the city needs missionaries just as much as other places. And actually, America needs missionaries now more than ever. And so... Um, as a family, we began to figure out what does it look like. We noticed that there was a difference between how we lived our lives in America versus when we'd go on trips. When we were other places, we were very intentional with everything, with how we, how we spent our days, with how we responded to the people around us and opportunities and, and things like that. Like if a, a, a local is like interested in us, we, we were much more intentional with that than my typical personality, which is like not wanting to talk to people. Um, and so just learning to like be more intentional with that. And so uh, we're all missionaries, and I just want to make that clear. Like Whether you're living that lifestyle or not, you've been sent out. 
Um, Jesus told us both to occupy until he comes, um, but also to go. He sent us out. Like, that was part of the, the Great Commission is, is to go, and that looks like to the world around you. And, um, and so we're all, we all have to fulfill this. The background of the kings, so originally I, I was just, this was kings and priests, and, uh, which I'll get into in a, a moment, a little bit more what that means, but my, one of our um, fivefold overseers, so we have fivefold overseers who are different people within ministry around the country that are overseeing what's happening here, and uh, one of them, his name's Peter DeWitt, and I shared this with him, and he's like, I think you need to add profits to that, but he gave me no, he gave me a little bit of context, but I was like, ah, it doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, but then I started really digging into it, and I was like, no, this actually makes sense. These kings, priests, prophets goes together, and you see it biblically um, throughout Scripture. And so, um, once again, this isn't just a call of, for fire. This is, this is biblical Christianity. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So obviously the, the context, bless you, uh, obviously the context here is sexual immorality, but if our bodies are not our own, how much more our mind, our will, emotions, all of these things are owed to him. He's, he's worthy of it all. And so this is the one that you guys probably think of when I, if, if you think of a scripture, you're probably thinking of in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones built, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, uh, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this, a stone of stumbling and a rock of, defense, of offense. Not defense. Uh, they stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are royalty, we're holy, which means set apart. We're priests, we're a nation, we're his people. But it also says we're temples, and Scripture says we're temples and we're stones, being built together to expand his kingdom. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to be kings and women, you know, your sons. Um, so you can also be kings, uh, but insert queen if it makes you feel better. Um, so kings, this is about presiding and reigning on behalf of the king. So this is delegated authority. Um, so this was like one of the first pieces that my family, like we started to really grab a hold of is this idea of like territorial authority, taking, taking ownership of an area, um, really intentionally. And so what this, what this looks like, and, um, 
as we started to really, when we moved somewhere, which we've moved a lot since we've been here, but when we moved somewhere, we were like, this is our area. We're, we're claiming this for the kingdom. And now whatever happens to the people here happens to us. And whatever's happening here is happening in our, our territory, so it's, it, we have a say in it, and we're going to get involved. And, uh, and so that, that meant the homeless people were our homeless people, and uh, the crime was crime happening to us and to our people. Um, it's just a different way, especially in Seattle, when everyone just kind of keeps themselves, to actually live intentionally in that place of this is our area. And this actually, God really started to teach me this in Columbus, Ohio, years ago. Um, if you guys remember when there was just like a stream, I know it went on for a while, but there was a stream of BLM, the shootings, the different shootings that were happening. And there was one that happened to a, uh, a young kid in Columbus, Ohio. So up until that point, um, every single city that that happened in, uh, there was violent protests. Like there was protests every time, obviously, but things like turned to real violence and were really nasty for the city and buildings getting burned and all that kind of stuff. And so um, when this happened, I woke up because it happened in the evening and I woke up the next day and heard the news and I just, I felt this, this sorrow um, overcome me and the Lord said to, to go to the place that it happened and pray. And so I... I did. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it at the time. I, I went there, and I just went to the spot he was shot. And I just said, God, forgive us. You know, forgive us for this bloodshed. I just, I pray peace. Say that violence is not able to break out. That violence does not begat violence. Um, and this ends here. This stops. And um, nothing crazy. Um, didn't feel anything when I did it. We were the first city, though, to not have violence, to not have things burned down, to not have all that. And I, that's when I like, really took notice. I was like, oh, wow, because I don't even know that I was actually expecting it to work. Um, but that's when God really started to teach me this. And so what if we actually took ownership of wherever we live? Like there's a, there's a woman, uh, a homeless lady named Angie that lives by us. And... Um, uh, <laughs> She, she's loud, obnoxious in many ways, um, but she's ours. And so we, we love her, and every time we can, we try to love on her. And, um, and one of the things that this, this began to be is, like, generosity is key, and it's part of the kingdom. And if, if we're not generous, um, that's a problem. And so we would just always find a way to do something for Angie. Uh, I came to her with some money one time, and she's like, how much you got? Like, that was her response to me, and I'm just like, <sighs> you know, because everything in you at that point is like, I don't want to give this to you. Um, you know, and <laughs> one time I went, I went and got her some food, and I came out, and she's like, she said, uh, right in time, I got my money, I'm going home. <laughs> I don't even know where, where she sleeps, but uh, she's so rude, and we love her, and, uh, but she's ours. And, and I think there's something to that. And I remember in Columbus even learning that and like knowing a lot of the homeless people and their names and um, just seeing God do amazing things with them. This story really began to solidify for us. Um, some of you have heard this. I don't know if it's true, but it's a great story about Alexander the Great. It says, the story is told that one day a beggar by the roadside asked for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and, and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right to even lift a, solicit, 
solicitous hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. A courtier was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, copper coins would have adequately met the beggar's need. Why give him gold? And this is the key. Alexander responded in royal fashion, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. And so we took that as our, um, this is one of those things that really stirred us, is we don't give, we're not giving based on their need, how much they deserve it. Same things with restaurants, all the stuff. Like, if, if it's a small business in our area, we're giving the top. You know, if they have three options, we just committed. We're always doing the top, no matter how much it hurts. Um, we're, we're doing it, even if they give us bad service, even if they treat us awful. Um, but we give, we do these things. The way we walk is based on who we are, not who they are. And, and honestly, like our generosity, the level of generosity we walk in speaks a lot more about what we think about God than anything else. So there's this one night... talking about taking ownership. And um, the area we moved to is God led us there. We didn't, that wasn't where we wanted to live. Um, But God led us there. And uh, it's, you know, within the first couple weeks, there were, in one week alone, there was a drive-by 500 feet from our house. There was um, two people shot uh, at the corner, which is about 500 feet from our house. And, uh, and we have three little kids, three, three kids, three, well, at that point, my daughter, yeah, she had just been born. Um, yeah, so we had three kids, three and under. And, you know, we began to really take ownership. I know my wife was out there with oil, like marching around, making a line around the whole neighborhood, not just our house. And this is like, this is really key. It wasn't just our house. We were taking the area. And that's how we saw it, is this is our area. Crime's not allowed to ha- happen here. So she, she did a whole thing around the neighborhood and blocked off our section. And uh, this one night we were praying, and she started praying specifically. We pray with the kids every night. And she started praying specifically for our neighbors. And, started, and it was this, like, we had done that before, but it was the first time it really clicked to me. Um, I was like, oh, wow, like, this is different. And I... I she was praying not only for our property, our safety, our family, but started naming our neighbors and their properties and what she wants to see happen with them and dreams and visions over them and uh, peace over our neighborhood. And it was in that moment it really, it really hit me. It's like, you know, you know that you've moved in this kingly territorial, I'm taking ownership when your prayers move away from you and start to be about those around you. Like, we actually have a connection to the king. We actually have authority. And, and we have the ability to, to uh, express that authority over people who don't know how to express it for themselves. And so now we, we still regularly do that. We still regularly pray for them. I had this thought, you know, if, if I'm right about this, if, if we really are all called to live this way, and we had to stand before Jesus, not even an attorney, just take, if we, had to, if we had to stand before God a year from now and give account for tangibly what has, what has changed in the area, I place you in this area, what's happened? Um, most of us would be pretty ashamed. <laughs> 
if, if he was like, so why did homelessness increase when I put you there? Why did domestic violence, why did drug use, why did abuse, why did sex trafficking, why did these things increase when I put you there, filled with the Holy Spirit? I, I honestly believe we can change the world around us. And I think, I think sometimes we make it bigger than it is um, to do that. Like, it's no small thing, but I think we make it into this, like, if I can't do this crazy thing, then it's never going to happen. But it really does happen just through people taking ownership, ad- adopting your area, and, and actually seeing it as yours. All of these, by the way, the king's priest prophets, these are all things. They should be a full message or a series of messages. So I'm just doing a brief overview of each of them. The next one is uh, priests. Being priests. So you have to look at, for this one, you have to look at what was, what was the priesthood. The priesthood was a lineage in the Old Testament. It was a, a lineage that God um, set apart for himself to keep himself connected to sinful humanity. <laughs> you know, otherwise he, he couldn't. So he, he, he needed people in the place that were uh, able to, to um, do sacrifices and that sort of thing so he could stay connected to mankind even though they were sinful. In the Old Testament, this is really key, in the Old Testament, one person, one time a year, could go into his presence, but if they had sin in their life, they would die. In the New Testament, all believers can go into his presence any time they turn their affections towards him, and in his presence, their sin dies. So we definitely got the better covenant. Um, So let's talk priest then verse now. Priests then were clothed in priestly garments. Now we're in robes of righteousness. Uh, Then they would minister to the Lord. Now we minister to the Lord. It's like worship and prayer and intercession. They would teach the statutes of the Lord. They would teach the law. And now we get to preach His good news. They would determine sickness and call unclean what God called unclean. And now we get to minister healing and call clean what God calls clean. Even some things that aren't clean until we call them clean. Then they would have to keep the fire burning on the altar. Now we have to keep the fire burning in our hearts. They would offer sacrifices and gifts to the Lord. And we do the same. We offer sacrifices and gifts of money, time, our giftings, our abilities, um, those sorts of things. Our role as a priest is to minister to him in all things. So like that's the kingly thing is I'm presiding over an area. The priestly, the priestly thing is I'm going to minister to him. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. So 1 Peter 2.5 talked about we offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, even our work becomes a spiritual sacrifice. Everything we do is unto him. They're all sacrifices unto him. And so <laughs> this was something that years ago, my, my first like sales job was at this place called Massage Envy, and I was sold massage contracts. And I remember uh, getting to the point where I really hated the job. And normally it takes that place for Holy Spirit to teach you something. Um, and a big part of my role was I would have to sit and fold towels 
and it would happen several times a day. We'd get a, uh, like a commercial load of towels that had been cleaned by some company, and we'd fold them and put them in the closet and all this stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget when Holy Spirit started inviting me into uh, that being something I did with Him. And I began to, in that place, let that be worship. As I folded the towels, I'd pray. I'd pray in the Spirit. I would acknowledge Him. Um, and then that turned into, I would have to find little moments just to get away because His presence would just come and rest on me. And I'd be like, I have to, you know, I'd be like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I'd like disappear for five minutes just to go be with Him um, because he, he would come. And then that turned into uh, multiple um, of the uh, therapists there getting really touched by God. And so it was just, it was amazing to see how just turning that, turning work into a place of intimacy and in a place that I got to worship him uh, with what I was doing. I started actually doing it as if it was for him. Uh, and from then, like that, I've just seen, I've seen God, every job I normally get to the point I hate it. And then it is like push a little bit further with Holy Spirit teaching me a lesson like that, like learning how to worship him through it. And then I get moved on. So we must, we must live our role as a priest wherever we are. So you can think about what that looks like for you. Um, and I know it's easy to segment your life and be like, okay, Jesus and this, this, but not here. You know, that I just try to make it through. Um, but I really encourage you, all of these things I'm talking about, start to just go through your life. Stop segmenting everything. Like, when I talk about being a missionary, all of us are missionaries. We're all, we're all here for this. Um, you're a missionary whether you're working a job, you're leading a church, at church, you're whatever it might be, you're a missionary. And we're individually building a throne for him in our lives. I'm making good time on this. Uh, so let's go into being prophets. So I'm not, when I say prophets, I'm not talking about Ephesians 4, like where it lists out the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Um, those offices are for equipping us to do what they are. It says that they're there to equip the saints. And so a, the office of prophet actually equips us to live prophetically. And so um, let's look at the heart of God. I'm going to read through uh, several different scriptures here, and we're just going to look at the heart of God for the prophetic because they build on each other. Numbers 11, 25 through 30, it says, Then the Lord came down. Oh, the context of this is Moses gathered all the elders together. And um, I believe that, if I remember right, this is the section where he's, he is being overwhelmed because he's having to judge everyone, and God's like, okay, let's set apart some elders. So he gathers, he gathers the elders together. Um, and it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him, which the Bible refers to as the spirit of leadership, took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So this is kind of interesting. The spirit of the Lord came and rested on them, and they started to prophesy, but then they didn't continue in it. But then it says, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Madad. Not my dad, Madad. Um, <laughs> dad joke. Uh, and the Spirit rested on them. So the same way as the others, the Spirit rested on these. They were among those re registered, but they had not gone out of the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran to Moses and, and told Moses, 
Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Foreshadowing. Amos 3, 7 through 8. Uh, verse 7, it says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. He does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, but who can prophesy? So then the question is, why does God speak, but then need somebody else to prophesy? Why does he need somebody else to speak if he's already spoken? We'll get there in a moment. Joel 2, 28 through 29 says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So similar to what happened with Moses um, in Numbers and the, the spirit resting on people, this is a prophecy that we later see in Acts. Uh, with outpouring the Holy Spirit, that God wanted His Spirit upon all flesh. John fifteen fifteen through 16. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give to you. So our, our role is to live as a friend of God. When it comes down to the prophetic, like that's kingship is reigning, uh, the priest is ministering to him, and this prophet is being a friend and hearing, hearing what he's speaking. Uh, it's, it's being a friend of God, seeing what the Father's doing, and then asking of him, asking in his name. So this is key. God has sovereignly restricted himself to co-laboring with us. He actually, there's very few things that God does just sovereignly on his own. He has, since he made people, he has restricted himself because he so wants relationship with us that he restricts himself to working with us. This is something most people don't understand, but this is, this is scripture. Um, he wants relationship and he wants to reveal secrets to us. But he needs us to speak it out. So Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. So it says, you mighty ones who do his word, talking about the angels, and it says, obeying the voice of his word. Who's the voice of his word? We become the voice of his word when we prophesy. That's what prophecy is, is we speak it out and they do it. We speak out the promises of the Father. We speak out what He's saying. We speak out what we see Him doing. So we, we, co-la- we co-labor with the Father to release things into the earth by speaking them out in prayer. I had this, um, later confirmed by that scripture, but I had this, I was at this worship conference, and I'm not a worship leader at all. Um, I was there with, for those who know her, Jasmine Tate, um, carrying her guitar. And... Uh, she, uh, anyway, somebody else was speaking, and they were talking about warfare worship. And I, at this point, I honestly did not understand worship at all. 
it didn't make sense to me. I would go through the motions, and I was like starting to get the heart. I was like, I love God. I love praying for people. We're seeing a lot of healings, all this kind of stuff. Um, but I don't get worship. But I liked it. I liked being in it. I liked when I'd feel God's presence. Um, I definitely didn't understand warfare worship at this point. And they're talking about this, and I just like, that was a big part of what the conference was about. And I was like, I don't get it. And so I was like, Holy Spirit, will you teach me about this? And I'll never forget, I saw, like, with my eyes open, but I saw something overlaid over. It was like I could see into another realm. And I saw as, as people were playing the instruments, I saw the notes come off the instruments. And I saw an angel swoop down and grab the note. And when he did, it became a sword. And, I was, and then I started watching this. It, like, pulled out, and I saw this, like, bigger battle of these angels warring with the worship we were releasing and using those became their weapons to fight demonic uh, principalities and powers of the air. And that's, that is this verse. You mighty ones who, who do his word by obeying the voice of his word. When we put voice, when we speak out his promises, when we speak out his goodness, when we pray out of that place, that is co-laboring with God. It's, it's speaking out what he's saying and for some reason, I don't know why he's done this, but he has actually restricted himself. This is what intercession is. Um, but he actually has restricted himself to, he'll want to do something in the earth, but he needs somebody to speak it. So anything God's doing in the earth has been spoken and released by somebody in prayer. That's the importance of prayer. So our role as a prophet to stand in that prophetic place is to begin to hear and see what the Father's doing and to begin to speak it out as his friend. So we're not just ministering to him as a priest. That's important. But it's, it's another layer of that. We're still, we're still ministering to him, but now we're partnering with him as a friend. And he's speaking to us and he's saying, I, I want to end homelessness. And you begin to pray that out. You begin to pray out of that place of ending homelessness. And he can give you more and, and make it more specific. And as we partner with him, we'll see God move. And sometimes in that place, as we begin to intercede over the local businesses, over the local schools, over, um, over the homeless, over crime rates and all those things, God might speak to us to, to share that with someone. I think, I think so often we're so, we make the, pro, the prophetic so much about giving the word to somebody else, which there's, there's truth to that. Um, but it's not, it's, it's not first that. It's, it's almost always first prayer, and it's supposed to be in the place of prayer. And that is our primary role in the prophetic, is to pray and speak out what he's saying. And it might overflow into him saying, hey, go give that business owner a word. So it's easy in hearing this to be like, <laughs> to kind of be in that place of like, oh, I got to be, you know, I'm not there yet. That's like for a certain level of Christian, whatever. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Um, he doesn't want to partner with me like that. And that's just not true. First Samuel 22, 1 through 2 is, I love this section of scripture. Um, first and second Samuel just need to be a movie. If you haven't read them recently, go back and read them. It reads like an epic war movie, and I love it. Um, especially love when Absalom's like riding and his hair gets caught and then he's dangling by his hair and they come and kill him. Just great stuff. Um, anyways, <laughs> in verse 22, 
it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his friends and all of his father's house heard, they went down there to him. And this is the key. So he's hiding in a cave. He runs away. He's hiding in a cave. Saul's trying to kill him. He's hiding in a cave. And it says, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So David became the leader of the misfits. The cave became his castle. The societal rejects became his followers. But here's the key. There's something about these distressed, in debt, and bitter. Um, And bitter, actually, the word there means like discontent or uh, living out of the result of wickedness, which wickedness is like wicker furniture. It's like twisted. It's, it's, it, it, when we hear wickedness, we immediately think evil, typically, right? Um, but it actually just means twisted up, whereas like righteousness is the opposite of wickedness, which means in right alignment, where it's also justification, justified. Um, so being, being in right alignment versus being twisted up. And so these are people who their lives are out of order. They're, um, they're twisted, they're in debt, they're bitter, they're discontent. But those, those people got around uh, someone who was anointed king running for his life, but he, he loved God and he would worship and he would just, he was a worshiper. He was an, an anointed worshiper and something about being around this anointed worshiper transformed them into, into the mighty men. They became the greatest warriors in history uh, and at least in biblical history. David is actually a picture of Jesus in this. He's, Jesus is, a, is this, uh, this place that those who are, uh, and I, I think this is what God's doing here, is he's gathering, he's gathering the misfits, he's ga- gathering the downcast, the misunderstood, the, the broken. And he's, he's making us into mighty ones. So if you feel disappointed with what you've known Christianity to be, what you've known in the church, what you've experienced, um, and you're hungry for something more, and you're willing to go after that something more, then this is the place for you. Come. And you might be weary or hurting, and like I said, this is a well. This is a place that you can come and drink. But only God can take the hopeless and make them mighty. So I opened by reading Revelation 5. And in Revelation 5, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. um, But it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he took the scroll... Uh, I'm going to skip ahead, and it says, um, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So by his blood he ransomed us. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them, talking about Jesus has made us a kingdom and priest to our God. And they, talking about us, and they, and we will reign on earth. 
So this is, this is what Jesus paid for. Jesus actually paid for a people that's his. He made us a kingdom, and he made us priests, and he put us here to reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sun and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the living creature said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Our focus here or mission statement, or whatever you want to call it, is based off this section of Scripture. It's, may Jesus receive his full reward in our lives, our city, and the nations of the world because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. We'll accomplish this. We'll get Jesus his full reward by living as kings, priests, and prophets individually, wherever God has placed us. But I want to talk about this as, as a community um, right here at the end. So we, we're taking up that offering for Bethel. Bethel has a really interesting story where they were a church. They've been a church for a long time, for decades and decades and decades. Um, different leadership and different things like that. And Bill Johnson, who's the leader of it now, he's sixth generation or seventh generation pastor or something like that. Anyways, they started realizing we need to impact our city. And so I don't know the order of all this stuff, but I remember we were in London and got to hear them tell some of this story. Um, but basically they went, they had a ministry school with like a thousand students. So they went to the city and they're like, Hey, we want to serve. How can we serve? And the city like thought they were joking. And so the city's like, uh, why don't you go sweep the streets? So they did. They got thousand, a thousand brooms, and they sent the students out, and they literally swept by hand, swept the streets. And then they went back to the city, and they're like, okay, now what? And at that point, the city started taking them more seriously. Since then, they've created this amazing relationship with the city um, where, like, one of the things they would do is they'd show up at city council meetings where everyone, if you've ever been to a city council meeting or seen one on YouTube or something, it's uh, basically everyone just coming to yell at the city council. And so they would start to show up and instead encourage them. They would ask the Lord for something for the city council members, and they'd show up and wait in line and then encourage the city council members and prophesy over them. And the city council started not knowing where they were from because they never said, hey, we're from Bethel, and God has this word. They'd just go and encourage them. But they started asking, where are those people from that come every time? And then started reaching out to them and bringing them into meetings about the city and the convention center, I believe, was going to go bankrupt, and uh, it was the situation. And that's like the only place in the city. Reading's like out in the middle of nowhere. It was the only place in the city really to have any concerts or any kind of like um, culture come into the city. And so, but the city it was going bankrupt. They were going to have to close it down. So Bethel offered, let us buy it, let us maintain it, and we'll still allow you to use it for your full schedule as much as you need it. And um, just because they wanted to sew that back into their city. And it also gave them a place to have like bigger events and things like that. 
They're also, they're leading in tech now. They have one of the top tech schools for um, number of tech students being placed in the industry because they have relationships in the industry. Um, they have, uh, and if you've been to this place, it's like, it's like a redneck town. <laughs> it's out in the middle of nowhere, but now Bethel's transformed it. They are, they are uh, in the process right now of the police are like, um, they're trying out the, the police social worker dynamic and they're actually, um, it's a prototype right now, but Bethel's part of that and helping with that process and it's been really successful. So they've just, they've adopted their city and they've gone after it in a really powerful way. Um, so how are we gonna do this as a community? We're gonna do something, we're gonna do some similar things. As furnaces, we're gonna adopt our section of the, of the community that we're in. And so we're gonna end up with furnaces all over the city and we're gonna figure out within those sections, how do we determine um, we're going we're gonna to find out what does the city determine as the top issues in each of these sections of the city. And, and in those sections, we're going to start targeting that in all three of these places. So we're going to minister to the Lord. We're going to create a throne for him in each of those areas. We're going to, as, as kings, we're going to look at as a furnace, because for, if they're, they're geographically based, so whatever one you're closest to, that kind of thing, um, and we'll begin to look as a furnace, how do we begin to impact this? What, is the, what are the tangible things that we can do here towards these top five things? You know, I pray about it. Like maybe it's just one of them that God highlights and like go after that one. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to be prophets. We're going to begin to hear God and declare out and prophesy over our city, over our area, over the people groups, um, what God's going to do. And um, that is everything in the natural first happens in the spiritual. And so as much as we don't believe that a lot of times because this feels more real to us, it has to start there first. Uh, but we're going to do those things, and we're going to be able to measure based on statistics and things like that, like if, uh, if we're actually having an impact. And then we'll adjust. Uh, I see us serving artists, uh, business owners, um, and pastors. And the Lord told me if we do those three well, that he'll give us political like governmental leaders um, to work with as well. We also have a potential open door to the mayor right now um, and a prayer group that is, there's a, our mayor is actually a believer. Um, I don't know what, to what extent, um, but the mayor and the police chief both are turning over prayer requests to this group that's praying and we're getting connected to that group um, to be in the know on like, here's the priorities of the mayor and of, uh, of the police chief of, for the city. You know, and once again, it's like, it's easy to look at like, oh, unless we're doing the huge things, it's, it's not gonna impact things. But we, a year ago, um, I asked God, I was like, what are we supposed to do for the city? And he said, go, go contrary to the spirit of the city. And at that point, especially, the police were so hated. I know I have, I have friends in business and stuff. Like I know of a, there's a business that um, the girl, her brother is a police officer, so she gave free coffee to police officers and several times has had a brick th thrown through her window that says F the police and stuff and like people vandalizing. And it's just like, this is the spirit of our city right now, regardless of what you think about politically. Like once again, we're a community, we, we center around Jesus, we put aside our opinions. Like centering around Jesus, how do we step into that and go contrary to the spirit? And I felt like the Lord said just to bake cookies like have our kids bake cookies for the police and take it to them. And so we did that. And I, I'll never forget how much I felt the presence of God just giving this officer who had been an officer for 37 years, the police force at that point, he said, we lost a third of our police force to the defund, defund the police movement. 
And then we lost another third to vaccine mandates. And he's like, I've been at this 37 years. This man's almost in tears and just has been so dishonored. And he's like, I've never seen it like this. He's like, I gave my life to this and I've never seen it like this. Um, I didn't realize giving cookies to him would be so significant, but they felt so honored. And our kids got to be a part of that. And it was something so small. We went and we did that with the uh, fire department as well. There's, we can take little things, both as furnaces and as a larger community, and then God's going to open up bigger things as well. Whatever you steward, you steward it well, and then God will increase it. So we're going to do those things. Um, I'm just going to go through a few of these real quick. Um, I believe God's going to give us a Dream Center in Seattle. So if you're familiar with the Dream Center in L.A., um, it's incredible. I think it's seven stories. Uh, different floors of this building are different things. They did more during the pandemic and everything. They've been able to do more for homeless people, for sex trafficking and all those things than the city of L.A. has been able to do. They've, done, they've been able to do more and accomplish more than the government. Um, and so I believe God's going to give us a, 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 a dream center to help solve some of the homelessness issue and rehab people and job skills and... Um, uh, and help with uh, ending trafficking and that sort of thing. Um, another thing that God, I, I've never done a funeral personally. I've done some weddings. I've never done a funeral. Um, but one of the things God spoke to me, if we really take it personally, like when somebody gets shot, you know, in, in our city or um, drive-by happens or, you know, we're only in Beacon Hill. So it's not, it's like, um, it's happening. This kind of stuff's happening all around the city within the city limits. Um, if we take that personally, then how do we step into those situations? And, and when we were in Columbus, I end up in a weird position where I end up at this political fundraiser with a party I don't agree with um, and got to meet the potential candidate for mayor. And I remember having this conversation with him, and I think he was pandering a little bit, but he, he basically was like, hey, we want to, he's like, I really want to work with local um, Christian leaders that when something happens, we call you and you come and minister both to the police and to the families, the families involved in like in a shooting and that sort of thing. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's where this needs to go. And God reminded me of that when I was praying over Seattle and what, God, what he's going to do here. And I felt like he said that the, the, that he would give us persons of peace, like inroads to do these things within the police department, um, that we would get calls when something happens to come out and be there. Um, but as a community, this is kind of, this isn't a media vision. This is like medium vision, uh, medium far away. But I want to work with and raise up people to do funerals and, um, or even pull from other churches and bring other people into this and then be able to step into those situations and say, hey, we're willing, we'll do the funeral for you. Because a lot of low-income families anyways, they don't have the money for the, for the funeral, for the casket, for any of that stuff. So we step in and say, hey, we're going to pay for everything. We're going to, if you would like us to, we'll do the funeral because that gives us also an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus and then also preach the gospel at the funeral and be there for them. Um, and then we're going to send them food for up to two weeks afterwards and just make sure their families are taken care of. That's like a really tangible way that we can show the love of Jesus. And as I'm sharing some of this stuff, you know, there's things in our doctrine and orthodox Christianity, like we don't believe anything crazy. We just literally believe the Bible. There's things that we believe that we will be hated for, and that's okay. But um, in India, I've, I've heard this from several, several people, in India there's a caste system. So there's, uh, 
at the top of the caste system is the Hindus and then Muslims and then Christians. But even though Christians are, are the lowest of the low, they're treated the worst, the other two know that they can come to Christians for physical healing and they will come to them for healing. And that's not the only culture like that. And so I believe even if people don't love our beliefs, they're gonna, it's going to be undeniable how much we love our city how much we're here to serve, how much, we're, we, how much of an impact we're having. Another thing I want to do, birthdays, um, I have, I have uh, friends from different parts of the world. There's a lot of cultures, especially if, if they're poor, they never have celebrated a birthday before. And I remember one of my friends, we gave him his first birthday ever. Um, and I want to, I feel like we're, we're supposed to do birthdays like by month for kids in certain areas. And so like in our area, I want to, to do that to where we do all the July birthdays and we invite all kids like up to like 12 years old to come be a part of this. And like we get them age appropriate gifts and we, you know, play with them and prophesy over them, you know, and all that kind of stuff and just love them, just love them and be present. Um, and kids are oftentimes an inroad to the parents. Another thing is, in, in, uh, in Columbus, there was an organization called Safe Families. It actually started in Chicago. Our, the church we were part of was starting to bring it in. Basically, Safe Families is for, um, instead, it's short-term adoption, so up to two years. And so basically, it's an alternative for, for parents who are in a situation where they can't take care of their kids, whether their kids are being going to be taken away, or they need to go into like some kind of long-term medical care or rehab they can decide to turn their kids over to safe families instead of their kids getting thrown in foster care. And safe families, basically a church can, uh, families can adopt and be open to that to where you could get a, a child of any age. They'll call you and say, hey, we have a, a three-month-old. Can you take care of it? Or we have a, five, a five-year-old. Can you take care of it? We're guessing it's going to be about two weeks uh, or it might, it might be a year. Um, but this, this could be huge. And really stepping in, and it, it keeps you connected. It, it's a really beautiful way for the family, the, the parent to feel empowered, but also know their kid is safe and loved, um, which is cool. So um, that's one of the things, as, as time goes on a little bit, I'm gonna, I want to bring that organization in and like really partner with them. And I think that wouldn't be just something we're doing. We'd be getting other churches involved and, and trying to introduce them as well. The, the last thing is... Um, one of our, another one of our um, fivefold overseers, he is a part of, he is a, there's a school. Actually, I'll tell a story. So that's the story of, I told you you're going to hear all this over here. Um, this, there's the story of Santa Claus, like the real Santa Claus, Saint Nick. Um, some of you have probably heard this, but basically he, the reason he's the patron saint of kids is because multiple times he had dreams about kids that were being trafficked. And so one of them specifically, he had a dream about kids at the harbor being shipped out of the town in pickle barrels. And he went down in the middle of the night and opened the pickle barrels and found kids that were being trafficked out and saved them. Um, There's a group that is actively training people to do that now, and they have a lot of success at it. Um, And actually, my my mom actually has a story. She worked at the police department. I think she was part of the detective bureau at this point, but she was not an officer, but she was, like, helping out. And uh, there was a point when a, I think it was a three- or five-year-old, it was a little kid that got, that got away, and they were looking, searching for this child, thinking the child was taken. 
and she had a picture in her mind of a soccer goal, and she's like, hey, is there a park nearby? She called one of the, the officers, and they're like, yeah, there's a park. She's like, go check by the, soccer, by the soccer field, and they found the kid under the soccer goal crying, um, and that's how they found him. We have the ability to hear God. It, it, you know, in Cleveland years ago, you guys might remember this, but there were people found who had been, like, taken from their home, like, just down the street. It wasn't even far, and they were being kept in a basement um, until they escaped after, like, seven years. In Cleveland, Ohio, like, this isn't some other country. Like, this is here. And, like, how much more, if, if, we, if we intentionally took ownership of our area, I believe God will start to speak that stuff to us. I believe he, he could tell us, there's people being held here, or pray for the release of this, or, you know, whatever it might be. And so um, I want to raise up a prophetic company that focuses in on that sort of thing. And this, this group, um, which we have an inroad to if we want to bring them in, um, they work with the local FBI and with the police and, and different things like that because um, in that realm of society, they believe in talking to mediums, and they're open. Like, there's, there's not... A, there's not as many atheists, like, the further up in power you go. People actually understand that there's real powers and things. Um, but in this city, I know that they do that. Like, I know that there's, there's mediums and things like that that help locate people. Um, how much more so can the children of God? So, and why do we want to do all this? Because he's worthy. It just comes back to that. He's worthy. Why do we want to, you know, I have, I have three kids um, we could live somewhere safer. We could live somewhere more comfortable. We could live somewhere warmer um, with more sunshine. But he's worthy. Like, he's actually worthy of us saying yes. So I want to encourage you guys to say yes. Yanni, if you want to come up and just play. Um, so Jesus... Jesus displayed to us what it means to fulfill this mandate. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is our High Priest. Jesus is the Prophet of Prophets. And He did it with partnership with Holy Spirit. I believe this is the key to it all. Um, and I know that sounds cliche, especially if you've been around charismatic environments. But we have to be filled. And so I'll share this. I won't say the name of the denomination, but in the history of Seattle, there is a denomination that was historically known for miracles, signs, wonders, and just a move of God. And in the 80s, the pastor realized that the church wasn't growing. And so his decision... uh, his, the decision he made was they needed to get rid of anything that might be weird. Any of the things of the Holy Spirit that might be weird. So they got rid of tongues, they got rid of prophecy, they got rid of praying, praying for the sick. And they focused on making people feel comfortable. And this is what we now know as the secret sense of church. Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and all these different people took that idea and spread it across the world now. So that's all over the world. And I'm not saying that these churches, I'm, I'm friends with some people in those circles, and I, I'm not saying that God isn't doing something with them. But one night I was like, I was really just focused in on Holy Spirit and, and praying over this specifically, over, over that, the fact that he was pushed out of the church here. And 
one of the things he showed me was a hard truth that the blood of, of that issue, that the reason that we're, Seattle is the reason that Holy Spirit has been pushed out of his church all over the world. We're actually the birthplace of that. And the blood of that is on our hands. And I just, I was overcome with just repentance and sorrow and just like, God, what do we, what do I do with that? Like, and he said, just give Holy Spirit room again. And so that's why we do everything we do is we just, we want to give him room. I don't want to structure him out of the building. I don't want to make people comfortable. Um, I want him to be here. I want him to be comfortable. And there was something called the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, I believe. Yes, 1906. And before the revival broke out, this black man at the time, you think about 1906 and that environment, he was, uh, I think he lived in Texas, I believe, and he was offered a job to come be lead pastor at a church in California in Los Angeles area. And he comes up, and he had had this nagging thing about a personal Pentecost. He had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but he had this nagging thing about, and he's reading the scripture, and he's like, I need a personal Pentecost. His first message was a personal Pentecost. He gave his first message and was fired <laughs> immediately after. So he had moved his whole life to be at this church and got fired because he wanted to go after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's something about that phrase that really struck me. And I, I feel like it's such a key to everything we're doing. I'm going to keep saying that. It's a key. Like, if without being baptized, not just when you, when you get saved, he comes and lives in you. But there's something about being immersed in him um, to where he just begins to, to burst out of you. And so everyone needs a personal Pentecost. And we must cherish the person of Holy Spirit. We must welcome him and, and make room for him and lay aside the, our desires and the things we want and, um, and learn just to go after him, have that desire. Like he's, he's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our attention. And then in the book of Acts, there's this weird thing. They get filled with the day, at the day of Pentecost, but then they get filled again and they get filled again and they get filled again. And actually the verb that's used there is a continual it's a continual thing. And so they're actually filled multiple times. And I've just realized in my life, I've needed him to break in in certain moments because I've gotten complacent. I've uh, lost connection. I've, you know, uh, I've allowed my affections to, to dim. And I've needed a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then there's like, in the, in the book of Acts, it isn't even that. Like, they're like, they're doing awesome things, but they're like, make us even more bold so we can do even more, so we can see even more great exploits. And so I've just realized, regardless of if I feel like I don't have enough and I need more, or in the sense of like I'm burnt out or uh, I've lost my hunger or whatever it might be, or I'm feeling I'm doing awesome and pursuing the things of God, but I'm just like, God, make me even more bold Either way, I need him. And so that's why this, this book, I asked Russell if I could buy a bunch of them. They sent us $1,000 in books, which is awesome. Um, they just want to sew that into us. But that's, we gave that book because 
I, this is a key for everything we're going to do. We have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have to continually be filled by Him. We have to make it a priority. So I just want to pray for that tonight. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like I necessarily need to go around and lay hands on everyone, but I just want to take a few minutes and just ask ask him, like, let's, let's just get on our knees and let's ask him, um, ask him to fill us. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fire Podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire Movement has a mission to bring people face-to-face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support. Thank you.